We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. We're here. I wish I could keep this feeling. I wish I could keep this feeling. This is Greg Olson, and I'm thrilled to introduce my new podcast, TE1. TE1 will chronicle a 60-year evolution of the tight end position, from its origins as an obscure, overlooked blocking role to the versatile superstar position that it is today. I'll explore the evolution of the position through conversations with some of the all-time game-changing tight ends. And just like the incredible tight ends we sit down with on my new show, the Chevy Silverado is in a league of its own. This truck is all about grit, strength, and dependability. The same attributes it takes to be a tight end. What up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Corner Podcast. Kel Dansby here with the old man, Andreas Hale. It is another week of combat sports. We were just going to do boxing and MMA this episode, but... We just finished watching NXT TakeOver, so we're going to squeeze that in as well. So we'll be talking all three combat sports on this episode, which is really cool. Of course, we got to start off with something that isn't combat sports. And today's topic comes from a convo I had with the old man in our group chat. I probably put in our group chat like 3 a.m. Saturday night. I was still up. It was after I was working the fights. I was sitting there hanging out with my wife. We usually have like our little date nights late at night after I'm done working. So we're playing pool in the crib. We have YouTube up and she decides to play a track I had never heard before. And we're like in our 90s R&B bag. So we're going through it and she plays this track and it's so bad. I have to put the track in our group chat. And of course the old man knows what it is. Dre, why is this song even known? It is, 
I'm trying to find the name, but it's by Subway featuring 702. The track is so bad, I can't believe it even popped up on YouTube. Come on, man. What's wrong with you? This is early 90s R&B. It's the games we we play. It's the games we play. It's Michael Bivis, Biff 10 Records. He had a group called Subway, and he, then he had signed 702, which is my homies from Vegas. And they, uh, yeah, cracked the clock. This yeah, got to crack the clock of this one. And the song, they put 702 on, and Subway actually had a pretty good album. The album was called Good Times with a joint called Fire, which was actually really dope. There's nothing wrong with this song. What's wrong with you? This is just something that you just didn't hear, and now you're hearing it now, and you think it sucks. But it's like, it, it was in the same vein as like with Immature was around. and like it was so, way before Immature, right? No. Immature was around the early night, like the mid '90s. So you're looking at it in like '94. Okay. Let me think. So this song, the games we played with 702, came out. In, it had to be '95. 702 had to be like 15 years old, by the way. Yeah, I mean, we all went to school together. Yeah. Well, they so went that's to the academy, crazy and, young. and I went to I went to Valley uh, High School, and they went to Las Vegas Academy. Uh, like also, ten minutes away. Yeah, we used to scoop all the girls from the academy all the time, <laughs> but. They all went there. Irish, Oris, rest in peace, Oris. Um, uh, Lamisha and Mila. And then um, who else went there? Schaefer Smith. Neo was also the academy. And we, yeah. were all, we all used to kick it. Now, I remember they got signed to Biv 10. And they were the first people to ever make it out of Vegas. And they were called 702, so we wore that like a badge of pride. But then I remember we saw the video because it was the original 702, which had my homegirl Amelia in the group. And it was Irish and Oris. Um, and I think this is b- before Mila was in the group. It was Irish, Orish, Amelia, and Lamisha. And, you know, when you're kids and you see your homies pop up on the music video, you go nuts. Like, we were like, oh, shit. And this song, we liked the song. The song was dope. And the, the song charted. So the song wasn't whack. I don't know what's wrong with you. I don't know how she pulled this out of the bag. I was like, yo, this is what you're going to play? And yeah. It, it developed a larger conversation of... I think it's time to be honest about 90s R&B, right? Because it is great. I'm not saying that is bad by any means. It's amazing. But people have this like rose-colored glasses for 90s R&B. Like it didn't have whack shit. Everything had whack shit. Yeah, but people really don't admit 90s R&B had some whack shit. Because there's so many bangers you can pull out that you're like, oh, okay. But this... I was like, I don't even know how this was allowed. You're nuts. We, the shit that you listen to from a man who has openly slandered Stevie Wonder and Kendrick Lamar on this I show? I did not slander Stevie Wonder. Come on. I said I did not feel the need to watch him in concert. That's slander. I never slandered his music. That's slander. That's slander. Nor Kendrick. I said I liked the album. It's not a classic. Listen, for you to openly say this stuff and then talk about like Ray Shremmer in like high regard, you actually Shrem life. Shrem Life is borderline duh. classic. What the fuck? You <laughs> can't talk about... skip on it. Listen, your your taste in music is questionable at best. So, no, I'm not listening to you. The- no, this apples and oranges, though. Don't get me off the subject. 90s R&B is great, but there's some tracks that are just, like, cringeworthy. Point. You said, yeah, there's some misses. Of course. What is a song that's, like, universally loved from the 90s that you're like, yo, this shit's kind of whack? I mean, wait, when you say universally love, because there's like the majority of people say like, yo, that's a bank. Like personally, it's not a song. And I guess this is blasphemous to many people. It's not a song, 
but I really don't like Brandy's music that much. What? Oh, wait, like, wait, I can't wait. listen to Brandy. Like, something about the tone of her voice when she sings oh bothers me. Yo, the angel in the sky. Like, yo, are you no, nuts? I liked Brandy because of the show. I was always a Brandy fan because of the show. I liked Moesha. I thought that was dope. I really never liked her music. It her voice annoyed me. You're bugging, like Brand. Like but I, I know she's universally loved, yes. so I can't argue against it. It's just something I don't like from the '90s. I mean, whatever. I mean, yeah, Brandy's I first know two albums. Thing. Yeah, it has to be. I know it's the, a personal thing. The first album was dope, and the second album was a banger. Like Brandy's musical, like Brandy's career is underrated as a whole. But Ray J is better. At what? Being at a career, <laughs> can't, can't fuck with Ray J. Anyway, um, what's I don't I don't know what's like universally loved that I I didn't like from the nineties. So like songs um, like this is how we do it are universally loved songs, but it's universally loved by like white people, and I can't oh. listen to that shit anymore. What this, this is, is how we, we do it? it? I'm on. dancing every time that plays. Every See, time. this is what I'm talking about. Every time that song, yo, I'd rather listen to Montel join something for the honeys than this is also how we do good. it. This is how we do it. I can't. I can't. They played that song to death. Can't. I can't do it. Yeah. I mean, I have a couple, like, 90s R&B hot takes that aren't great. But I recognize that they aren't great. Like, I was a big As Yet fan. (laughs) So so I I understand that I have some shit that people really don't like. Oh, my Um, God. I had the album. Yes, the whole album. Only only white people bought that album. No, I liked As Yet. That last night song and was such a sim song. Last night was my shit too. I still still have that in rotation. Oh god! In I the crib, like the Tony yes. Rich project, I hated that shit. Um, I'm trying to think what else from the '90s. See, like '90s. This is why I like the '90s because groups matter. Like Boys the Men and Jodeci. That was like the the yin and yang of R and B in its entirety. Those two groups. Fair. And I don't know what else. Like there was High Five. There was H Town. There was Brownstone, SWV, like ninety cents. Not sure what song Brownstone has. I'm not familiar with the Brownstone. Say it. If you need me, do it. Come on, man. Oh, do it. Okay, okay, okay. Like, like there was. You finally hit one. It was the fourth song you said. No, it's the same song, bro. That's Brownstone. Yes. No, I don't. If you love me, I gotta play it after this. Yeah, come on. (laughs) I'm not familiar with Brownstone then. No. Ah, there was Silk, there was Cut Close, there was, was dope. Key Sweat, there was um, Total. My wife doesn't like En Vogue. I think that's her like, um, that's her one where she's like, ah, I can get rid of En Vogue and not miss a beat. En Vogue is her Undertaker take for you. Like you can yeah. kind of tell the story of 90s R&B and leave En Vogue completely out of it and she'd be fine. Yeah, I'd be completely fine. I like, I get why En Vogue was big, like Free Your Mind and, and Hold On. And they were great singers, but yeah, they didn't do it for me. Um... Deborah Cox was dope. Uh, Jesse Powell, Tony, 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 like yo, Tony, I, Tony, Tony was fire. Like there was, I mean, see, Subway fits nowhere in that. By the way, Subway. <laughs> That's look, why look. I'm just like, yo, who, who let this shit slide through? There, dog, there are so many R&B songs that people don't like. '90s R&B was like completely my bag. So there was like, I belong to you by Rome, which was a hit, 
and then dude just disappeared. He went nowhere. There was Jesse Powell's You, which was a banger, and just Jesse Powell. Yep. And just I'm just get, like sitting here taking notes on shit I don't know. Brownstone, Jesse Powell. I can't believe you don't. And know I know Brownstone. all our listeners are gonna be like, "Yo, what the fuck?" They, but granted, I know a lot of shit from the '90s, like more than I probably should, given I was born in '88. But dude. Brownstone is not one of those things. Do you know? I mean. Jesse like, Powell either. One of my favorites from the 90s from a group, well, is a, is a man and a woman. Uh, Coffee Brown's After Party. Coffee Brown's After Party. Look, I'll put it's it on. how I can tell you were a young savage back in the Come day. On. Here, here. <laughs> you know this song. You don't know this song? Oh, I do know this song. Exactly. Banger, and they went nowhere after that was over. It was a wrap. Oh, that shit was fine. Uh, I used to be in Skate Key in the Bronx, and that would come on. Wow, and then Skate that was, Key. Holy yeah, that shit. was always the, the backward skate shit right there. Because it was like a couple song, because it was a duet. So you got to get out there with your girl and like do the backward skating. Yeah, see? Like, yeah, yeah. They got all the youngsters like me off the floor, but you see like the teenage people backward skating and shit. To there, that song. There was like like 90s had crazy stuff. And there's like two eras of the 90s too. The 90s had the craziest transition in sound. Because you had like the early 90s, which is like New Jack Swing. You had like Christopher Williams, I'm Dreaming. You had like Aaron Hall, Don't Be Afraid. You had Guy, which is like the late 80s, early 90s. And then you go deep into the 90s. And it's like everything started changing in R&B. I mean, dude, yeah, Mint Condition. I look, Ooh, I could do a whole so show on like 90s <laughs> hip hop and R&B. Because I consumed, I, like I, I think I've said it a billion times on this podcast, every week I save my lunch money to buy a CD. Every week. Every week. 52 weeks, I have 52 CDs, at least. So I had everything. Crazy. And I just, whatever came out, I was like, yo, what's this? The Youngsters? All right, I'm buying this. What's this? Caution? All right, I'm buying this. And if it was whack, I was like, oh, well. But I always found a couple songs, and I made mixtapes at school. So I always had mixtapes and joints that nobody else had because I had every cassette or CD. Yeah, see, that's that's great. Now YouTube helps me catch up on a lot of shit because I I remember hearing stuff and listening to it, but I didn't own many CDs. Like I would get like promotional you shit or um, I think it was funny. I was listening to stuff yesterday on YouTube, and I knew a lot of it because at that time, like my uncle was doing like promotional work for LaFace as well. That um, LaFace and Tommy Boy did a lot of shit like in New York. Yeah. And running stuff to like different radio stations and stuff. So I'd be with my uncle, he's running shit to radio stations. So he would have to listen in a car to all this music and all these singles. So I got like a lot of those songs, but like listening back to them, I was like, yo, this shit is dope. But I never had like the full albums to that stuff. I'd say probably I didn't have a full album of 90s R&B until about 95, 96. Yes. Everything was singles. Well, that, see, that's the thing. So this leads it like to a bigger thing, and then we'll scale it back. But the the idea of like collecting music, like collecting anything, and me and my wife were talking about this the other day. Well, actually, today, back in the day, when you wanted to buy something, you had to invest in an album, or you wanted to buy something that was regional, you had to go out of your way to get it. So, like for instance, Deep Dish Pizza was only in Chicago. Um, it was hard to find. Uh, Timberlands anywhere outside of New York. It was like you had to be in the South to go to Chick-fil-A. Um, yeah. Krispy Kreme wasn't like universal. It wasn't everywhere you went. It was like certain places had certain things. Roscoe's, which still is like an L.A. staple. Music was kind of the same way. Like if you were in New York, 
you bought those mixtapes and you had those joints before everybody else did. Or like for me, if I bought all them CDs and made mixtapes for my friends, then I would have a bunch of songs that nobody had really heard because if it wasn't played on the radio, because I always had like B-sides, I always played like wild, obscure shit from these albums and put them on mixtapes. So like if I had like a Keith Murray album, like Enigma, the second album, I'd find like some obscure joint and put it on the mixtape. And it felt good because you knew about this and nobody else did. And they couldn't just go on a computer and find it. Right. So it's like you always had access. Like if you had something, it was special. So, for instance, once upon a time that child rapist known as R. Kelly used to have the crazy B-sides on singles. His his B-sides were like the Aaliyah um, At Your Best You Are Love remix was a banger. But you had to have that single to get it or Jay-Z's Dead Presidents. Like you had to buy that $5 single in order to have that song. You had to make that investment. Music is so different now where it's like any kid can just put something in their little Google machine and put it on YouTube and boom, they they can hear the song. I used to like that era where that investment in music, it made you feel like you were a collector. Like you were able to get your hands on something that nobody else had. Now, there's nothing like that. Ain't no time like that anymore. No, that's why stuff is, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. It's It's so quick and fleeting. Yeah, because it it comes so easy that you don't cherish, you know, the way that you had to get it. A lot of people, what's, you know, what's $8 a month for Apple Music? Exactly. You can add everything. You're like, yo, whatever. It boils down to, what, a penny a song? That shit ain't nothing. Like, you'll throw it away. Even if you bought a trash album in the 90s, You've rocked with that trash album for like a month. Because you, you you paid for it. It was yours. you paid for it. You, had, you would find two or three songs that you liked and then get mad hype when it came around. Yep. At least I was in the era mostly of CDs, so I could skip forward, which was great. But when it was just tapes, I was way too lazy to, re, to fast forward to the songs I liked. So I just have to just bear it. All the way through and be like, shit, at least I know this coming up in like 10 minutes. Yeah. And then the banger will hit. And then you you just feel good. It gave you that that appreciation of music. But yeah, like I said, there was some whack shit in there. As Yet isn't whack, though. I as remember As Yet and Case, the album would touch me, tease me. Case was... Um... was Was okay, but he was only good for like that... Like four songs that album. Yeah, because he had that. He had like, it wasn't Faded Pictures? Yeah, he had Faded Pictures. Because if I remember correctly, because like music videos were the same way. I used to get my VHS tapes and record music videos. And I used to set the timer on my VCR to make sure I could record like Rap City and Video Soul or whatever the fuck was on. And I come on and watch videos. And I remember the first time I saw, I want to say it's Faded Pictures. Somebody's going to correct me. But that was the first time like Beyonce was like the lead in a video that wasn't a Destiny Shot song. Wow. Yeah. And I remember seeing that. I was like, oh, wow. She's bad. I wonder where, how far she's going to go. And, you know, as you can see, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> she's no, taking no, off. Beyonce's Beyonce. Yeah. yeah. Um, all right. Before we switch over to a less fun topic, uh, since you were a young savage in the 90s, what was your go-to deep cut for the ladies? Like, oh. throw this on and be like, yo, this this is it. But not, not like the normal, like, oh, I'm throwing on Joe to see type shit. Like, what's your, like, deep cut? Like, they don't even know this shit, but it is fly, and it's going down. Look, man, if it's not even a deep cut anymore because, like, it became a legend of our step shows because of this song. 112's Now That We're Done. It was a rap. <laughs> that 
that like we we performed we had an interlude to that song in a step show and it became one of those things that everybody talked about for like three years and tried to duplicate and i made that shit up in my living room my homeboy but that song i was like i remember i bought the 112 album and i was like yo this shit is crazy and then it was like yo i played it for girls and i was like oh this gets the draws so then it was like, we're going to use this in the show. And when we did that, oh, my God. Yeah. Now that we're done 112, that 112 album is a classic R&B album. That album does Young, not miss. <laughs> Young Dre, the choreographer. Yeah, yes. We used to make, man, we used to make step show routines in, like, our garage, in the living room. We couldn't wait. That's why I've been so interested in making, like, talking about Las Vegas is really I didn't realize how unique it was until I left until I went to Morehouse and like we had our step show tapes because we perform and then we save the VHS tapes and then you go to college and you miss home and you put on a step show tape and I used to always leave my dorm room open so I my I was playing and like my boys walked in and was like yo what is this and I was like yo it's a step show they're like who's that? I was like that's me they was like oh shit and it was like what the and they heard all these people screaming they was like yo people used to go to this shit I was like yo listen <laughs> we I mean they used to sell out them tickets would sell out like hotcakes. Crazy, and, and people don't have no idea about step show culture in Vegas. It was bananas, and I've always yeah. wanted to do something where we could really tell a story about what it was like growing up in Vegas because it's unlike anywhere else. And I've, I didn't know it until I left. Had no idea. Yeah, I, I had no clue until I got here, and I remember, um, I ran into the culture two ways, kind of by mistake. Like quick story. So my mom was dating this guy Daryl, who was from. LA and the Daryl dude had two sons so him and my mom moved in together like briefly for like eight months and he moved in and then his two sons moved in so his two sons are mad cool we're still cool to this day I'm cool with Daryl to this day um but his two sons Dewan and Devin moved in and Dewan was two years older than me so he was going to Shap at that time and I remember him pledging mm. like these frats and um I was like what and then he's working on his little dances and his like whining and shit. You know, he's doing like his little hip <laughs> swerve in the living room and yeah. sticking his tongue out and shit. I was like, what are you doing? <laughs> and then I was like, yo, I don't get this shit. So um, I remember it's funny because he was, you know, kind of like brown skin, but a little lighter skin. And he had the curls and shit. And he tried out for the Kappas and then didn't get into the Kappas. Um it turns out, like, I guess he got in a fight with one of the kids who was, who was in the cappers already. And the kid was like, nah, fuck him. So then he went to, I don't know, like, uh, Omegas or some shit. Um, whatever AJ is. What was AJ? Sigma Beta. Sigma Beta. Cool. So he went to, like, that one and had a blast. But then I would go to the shows because, like, obviously he's performing so I was like, all right, cool. I'm going to go to the shows. And this shit was packed. And then the first one I actually went to was I came home from New York for the summer. It was like late August. And there was this park, Paradise Park. Yeah. That was about my On Topaz. Yep. Yeah, on Topaz. And they had the outdoor basketball courts. Yep. So they used to have summer basketball tournaments. Like uh, before AAU was big, AAU was always big in Vegas, which is another weird thing people didn't know. Yeah. Um. So... It was sponsored by Hank and the Dog Catchers, <laughs> and they were playing. <laughs> they were playing out there. Um, 
Lil Hank is actually a year younger than me. It's crazy. He went to the league. It's wild shit. But it was sponsored by Hank and the Dog Catchers. And I went out there, and the Step Shows did the halftime show. And after growing up, I remember when um, Drumline came out, and the line in Drumline was, oh, people just come to the games to see the halftime show. And I got it. Because I was like, yo, in New York, you go to these basketball games in you know summer tournaments to see people ball out and play basketball and yeah there were good basketball players but packed packed row to row every seat people were on the uh, on the park benches to the street standing girls as far as the eye can see for this halftime step shows this shit was crazy so kappas would perform then betas would perform kappas had their stupid little canes and somehow always ended up shirtless. It was it was ridiculous. And I was like, yo, this is the wildest shit. And I was like, okay, I get it. They just do this to get girls. Yes. I was like, I'm never doing it. Cause I'm not I'm not built that way. Like, you know, I've always been like stocky. And I was like, I'm not gonna wind my body my body in any way. Like, that's some weird shit. But um I guess there was bigger dudes who did it too, but whatever. It wasn't my bag. But I was like, after that, I was like, I got it. I understand. They shit wall to wall girls. I I know, not kidding you. I saw a five foot one Kappa kid, who had to be ninth grade. He was tiny, pulled the baddest senior that year, Something like model esque brown skin. She was like five nine, five ten, and I was like, what is going on here? To the point, he took his cane, he took his uh, white vest, because they were all white and red. Mm-hmm. So he took his little white vest. And she was like, come on, let's go eat. And grabbed his hand, hopped in her whip, which was like a drop top. She was like, here, toss some keys. He was driving. He thought it was fly. I was like, this motherfucker needs a booster seat. Baddest chick. And I was like, man, I got to give it up to him. So step show culture, different, different world. Different world. People different like, again, world. People don't understand <laughs> what, it, what that was like. And I, again, like I, I said, I didn't like... Real quick, so we like the Kappa League. We were dope. We used to always have our shows like the Sigma Beta Club and the Omega Gents and then the D Five Ts and the Men of Tomorrow. But one year, we were so good that we got invited to perform at the Bayou Classic, and we're like sixteen, I want to say fifteen, sixteen, and we got to perform at the Battle of the Bands, and um, all expense paid trip, and you know most of us had never been outside of Vegas. And you take 20, 20 horny ass kids <laughs> and you send them to New Orleans for the Bayou Classic at HBC, like Grambling versus Southern. And then you get to stay there for three days and you get to perform. Oh, man. The hijinks <laughs> that ensue that week. Like, listen. So we perform. We we ride. We killed that shit. But and it was dope because, like, I helped put together the routine and. We we killed that shit, but then afterward, um, cause like these college girls were like, yo, like how old are y'all? And we're lying. We're like we're eighteen. No, we're not. And it was like you still. I'm a senior in high school. I don't know. I was a sophomore. But they're like, oh, you want to, you know, meet us on Bourbon Street. And our advisor, Lawrence Weekly, who is now the councilman in yo, Vegas. Yo, Lawrence Weekly. Yes, he was our advisor. And he knew. Like, he, he knew we were nothing but trouble. He knew our crew was nothing but trouble. And he was like, don't. He would give us a bunch of don'ts, right? Like, don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. But as soon as it got late, 
me and the homies are like, all right, let's hit Bourbon Street. We go hit Bourbon Street, and we meet up, meet up with these uh, girls from Southern, and they're like, they still think we're older. Now, mind you, I just, I like, I just like have like kind of a mustache, and I had curls. <laughs> I don't know how I got past with all this shit, but I guess Bourbon Street it was lawless. So they got us those tall margaritas on Bourbon Street, and we never really had drank before like that because we were kids. Oh my god, we were so lit. It was. It, <laughs> We came back to the, the hotel room, like, wasted. Got in so much trouble. But, don't let's say, like... Lawrence Weekly. Yeah, Councilman Weekly, man. He was our advisor in the other Capital League, and he took us... Like, we got to see a lot of things. We went on a black college tour um, and a whole bunch of stuff. And I sat on the executive board. Like, I did all these things. One day, I will tell this story, maybe in a cinema format, if anybody would ever give me a deal to write a screenplay about growing up in Vegas. I would love... To do it because these stories, I again didn't realize how nuts they were until I grew up, and then I was like, "Y'all didn't do this." No. I'm gonna find the tape of that performance because if you're a sophomore, it has to be on YouTube because there's this dude for everyone listening who's not in Vegas. There's this dude Twix oh, who owns yes. these barber shops, and like Twix is still like, I'm pretty sure he was in what. He was maybe a senior when you were a freshman, but he was in Capital League. Yeah, he was in the Sigma Beta Club. He was a... Uh, no, nah, I think he's only a year older than me. Now I think about it. Yeah. So he he's like has this entire catalog of stuff. Because he was head of... Uh, he might have been head of Betas when I was in school. But I know he was very involved. Yes. And he put on a lot of step shows, his barbershop, sponsored all that shit. So he was like, I guess, the big homie when I was in school. Because he was already, you know, he'd been, he was an advisor in whatever club he was. Yep. So he used to give us all haircuts for, like, the cheap. Um, yeah, so I'm sure he has that shit. He has everything. He, at this point, he's like a Vegas historian. I got to, like, DM him and be like, yo, I need this tape. Because if it's the Bayou Classic, like, someone got that shit. That shit's huge. We've been trying to find it, actually. Like, my pops used to record our shows. So he became, like, on high eight. V, those tapes that are high eight, and then we, I can't figure it. Like, I went to my pop's crib recently, and I was like, yo, he's got all these tapes, but we can't find the converter to convert those tapes. And there's oh. some. So, we're, I'm going to find the next time I go out there. I'm just going to spend the money F- by the converter. And- FYI, there's a spot in Vegas off Flamingo and Eastern across from the McDonald's. It's by the 7 Eleven, 7 Eleven parking lot. All they do is convert videotapes, mm. um, different forms of video. And then give you the files. That's all the place does. Yeah. If, if, so, like, we used to go there and bring uh, our highlight tapes from high school, like football highlight tapes, blah, blah, blah. Uh, when we moved from DVDs to all online and huddle, when I was coaching, we brought them there and they converted everything for us. VHS, they converted all for you. It's that place. All right. Well, so, I'm, I'm sure to my they pops. got, like, a machine. Yeah. And, and I'm going to uh, find these tapes. And then... Oh, yeah. I can't wait. We got to share just, like, a 15-second clip on Twitter. That's it. Just give them a little taste. A little taste of 16-year-old Dre. Oh, man. <laughs> Crazy. Oh, that's going to be great. Um, all right. You know what? Let's hit the break. When we come back, we're going to talk NXT TakeOver. Wait, we, we didn't talk. We, how are we going to hit the break and not talk well, about Trump? We'll save Trump for later in the week. We talk about his dumb ass all the time. All right, fine. So we'll save it. Listen, he if he croaks, it's a better topic. Wow. If he doesn't, we got more stuff to talk about. Uh, listen, so, uh, uh, feds who are listening, I didn't say this. 
Listen, they should tapped on me. I do not represent the people at ESPN, by the way. This is uh, me speaking. Outside of that, the man, if he dies, he dies. Anyway, let's hit the break. When we come back, let's talk NXT TakeOver. You guys stay right there. All right, everybody, we'll get back to the show in one second. But first, football is back, and we may not be together at the game, but we can still get in on the action together at home. Put your football knowledge to the test with Contour Pick'em Game from our friends at Cox Cable. Place your picks, climb the leaderboard, and come back each week for your shot at the grand prize. Just say football picks, enter your Cox Contour remote to play, or visit them at cox.com slash pick'em. All right, just that quick, we are back, and it's time to talk NXT TakeOver. Strangely enough, first thing that jumped out to me, Dre, on this show, no pre-show. No pre-show match. Yeah, there was no pre-show match, which I was kind of surprised about, but, I mean, whatever. There's a lot of side feuds going on, a lot of people that weren't included. Hence, you know, cough, cough, tag team titles. They just gave up on that completely. Something got to come of that. I don't know what. But if Breezango is your choice, you should kind of feature them. <laughs> yeah, you think? <laughs> like, you just like, hey, congrats coming down and getting these titles. Career revamp. But you're not even putting them on a takeover. That's weird. So, very weird. So, we'll see how that goes. They'll probably plan, like, some crazy 5-14 ladder match for the December takeover. But very weird to see no pre-show, no presence tonight. First match, though, we'll just get right into the card. First match, Damian Priest versus Johnny Gargano. Probably Priest's best match so far in NXT. But I feel like I can say this every takeover now. Yeah. He's getting better. Quickly. Yeah. He is the one person on the indie scene who signed NXT and got a boost. Not to say that everybody from the indie scene didn't get a boost. I mean, yeah, Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa both got boosts. But Ciampa got the biggest boost, by the way. Ciampa was not Ciampa. Yeah, well. He, he was not Big Daddy Ciampa with the belt. No, no, no. He wasn't. He wasn't, which is true. But Punishment Martinez was like a nobody. <laughs> In ROH, yeah. he was just a big dude. He like did that whatever it was, that rookie thing. And then he yeah. was just kind of there. He's just a big, bland guy who did flippy shit. Now he's got like swag, he's got a personality, and he wrestled, he's, yep. he's gotten better. So this, the NXT signings have worked for certain people, and it's absolutely worked for Damian Priest. And then you're wrestling Gargano, so it's like, psh, can't lose. Can't mess that yeah. one up. Damian Priest is Baron Corbin with wrestling skills. Corbin might be a little better on the mic. But Corbin was always a really good heel. Even in NXT. He just couldn't put together matches like this. Yeah, definitely couldn't. And then even on the main roster now, I think he's a very serviceable mid-card heel. Very serviceable. Um, His work, even right now, against Riddle isn't horrible. No. So he's doing his job there. They need to break that apart. We shall see. But even what he was supposed to do for Riddle, he's done. He's a good mid-card serviceable heel. I think the thing that surprised me most in this match highlighted is 
Damian Priest is a convincing babyface. Yeah. Which is hard to do. It's easy to be a good heel if you need to. You can always act like a dick, right? Like, it's real easy to act like an asshole. It's hard to make people like you. And he's done that. Ever since he won the title, two bottles of cheap champagne in the hot tub, that, I was like, ah, this guy's onto something. Yeah, surprisingly. Surprisingly. Um, and Gargano's a good heel. He worked heel this entire match. You know, he's a sleazy heel, but I like it. I mean, they did. They hit all the right notes in this match. Like, this was a good match. Um, I don't know. Some people get crazy about it. Like, five-star match. I'm like, no, no, no. This was a really good match. Stop doing that shit. Oh, God. No, this like, is not a five-star Just stop doing five that star shit. Match. But it was good. It was good. It's good to advance Damian Priest. I don't know what, what's going to happen with Gargano, but people keep saying, this is the call-up. And, I like, I'm not saying you're wrong. I just hope you're wrong. <laughs> like I think, yeah. I, if again, I've said it before. If anybody's done everything they needed to do in NXT and could go, it'd be him. But I don't want him to go. It's no. too good. Neither do I. I. Honestly, I'll say it again. I'd rather DIY get back together as a heel tag team. Yeah. Go after Breezango. Get the title. Save the division, which is no division right now. <laughs> it's not even a division. It's not existing. Become the division again, because there's nothing else there. So I would love to see DIY um, get back together as a tag team. We'll see. But Johnny, again, Johnny has that Shawn Michaels record where, like, you look at Shawn Michaels' WrestleMania record, and he's, like, three matches under 500. Yeah. And that's Johnny with takeovers. But you don't care because it's always a good performance. Yeah, he, he just about delivers every single time. This was no doubt. Every time. So good opening match. Um, the next match, Kushida versus Velveteen Dream. Dream getting the shit beat out of him. I'm here for that. Yeah, I mean, that's what we needed, right? Like, come on, man. Y'all know by now. Yeah, everybody knows the story <laughs> about Velveteen Dream. And, you know, he likes to sew his wang to little boys and girls. And yep. Triple H compl- acting like this is a non-existent thing. He's just got to grow up. Yeah, no. The people that he's trying to diddle need to grow up so it could be legal. But it's not. So... <laughs> For whatever reason, you know, they keep booking him and they, you know, they use this match, I guess, to write him off television. And look, angry, like, and I don't even call what Kushida was wearing jeans. I called him shit's dungarees. Dungaree wearing Kushida <laughs> with, like, the ponytail and he's angry is the best Kushida. Like, this is the perfect version of Kushida that we needed. And he just pretty much beat the shit out of Dream. My problem with this match, though, and I've said this all the time, even when we liked Velveteen Dream. His performances are uneven as hell. And this was like a perfect example of watching Kushida work his ass off. And then Dream, like, he would either oversell things or his timing wasn't right. Something was wrong with, with Dream. Maybe he was high. But this... this I thought this was one of his better matches. I, I just thought he it was... He oversold a lot. But that's that's but my problem. It was annoying how much he oversold. Yeah, but he didn't get a crazy botch like he usually does. Usually he does a horrific botch. Well, the bar is low. In every match. So, I mean, I, I thought... He played into it. He did sell it to the world. But it's a small guy beating the hell out of Dream who put on some muscle mass now. Yeah. He's at least in better shape. So it was like, okay, he's trying to make it believable. I just that I he's know. taking an ass whooping. Sure. I mean, cause she looked great. That's all that mattered to me. Cause she didn't needed this edge because he was going nowhere fast. So I'm curious what they do with Kushida after this. But angry oh, Kushida? It has to be Damian Priest. You think so? I mean, but he's not a heel. Damien. Uh, Kushida's Kushida? not a heel. 
He beat the shit out of Velveteen Dream for five minutes after a match. Because she, I mean, I, Dream's a is heel. Is that baby face? But Dream's but, a heel because Dream sure, is the one who Dream, attacked him. She Dream, is not a because she is not a heel. Dream is flexible. Because she to beat him for five minutes. Yeah. Do baby faces beat people for five minutes? Yes. After, the after you, when you try to hurt somebody, because remember, Dream cost him something, and that's why Kushida attacked Dream. It's like he the gauntlet match. Dream interfered. So, yes, he deserved the ass one. They got to write him off television. But they have to give Kushida an edge. He's not a heel. He's absolutely not a heel. All right. We shall see. Um, next match. This is where I think, as they say, business picked up. So, um, I'll find it on Twitter. Credit the person who actually said it. Which, it's completely true. This is one of the best three... Best stretches of three title matches NXT has had. Because usually one is pretty bad, right? Like, if the women's match is really good, like the tag team match falters. Or the tag match is a five-star, the main event kind of falters. These were three great matches in a row. Uh, Shout out Madame Lizette on Twitter, always commenting with us. It was her credit. She's right. It is one of those stretches where you're like, you know what? They did right by all three of these matches starting with this NXT Cruiserweight match I paid attention I think I liked it more than you did Twitter liked it a lot more than me even Santos Escobar versus Swerve to me Escobar didn't need the crew he came out showed his skills I still don't know what Swerve's gimmick is there ain't one damn it but his moveset was ill and he brought out all the tricks, and he sold like a million bucks. And I thought it was a really good match to the point where it didn't weaken him. But Escobar, again, escapes and feels like a heel champion without being a chicken shit heel. So there's two halves of this match. First of all, these two work their ass off. There's no doubt yep. about it. Swerve, the fact that he doesn't really have a character does bother me. It's not his fault. I don't know whose fault it is. It's, the, it's just he needs a character. Something. Um, is There's before the interference and after the interference. Before the interference, this match was really good. Trending upward. Like, we were like, all right, they're going to hit a sprint for the finish. But then this interference happens. And then they run an angle that I, that I mean, the, what's his name? The dude comes out and helps out Swerve Scott. Is this a 205 angle? Because I have no idea what this is. Do you know? No. I... I don't think so. Okay. Because, I mean, Swerve has been teaming um, with tag teams on 205 Live to take on Santos Escobar and everyone else. I don't understand where the run-in comes from. So, yeah. So, when this happened, I was completely taken out of the match. Because now I'm like, I'm not focused on the match anymore. Because there was a lot of interference tonight. and It was a good amount. And this match didn't need it because I wanted it to bring closure to this ongoing feud. And it, then I felt like from that particular point of interference, the match felt, I don't know what happened. It, took, it just took me out of the match. It, didn't, it wasn't a bad match. I just felt like it didn't need that two or three minutes worth of interference. I could have just lived completely without it. But I thought it was a good match. And the finish... You know, Swerve hitting his head on the thing. It's like, all right, well, I guess we're going to keep this going. Um, some people loved it. 
I just, it just it was a match where I looked at it, it was like, it's TakeOver. You don't need to run this gimmick shit. I just, just have a match and just work. I will tell you this. Watching 205 Live, there's no one else that should challenge for the title. Because they haven't built anyone else to the position that they should challenge Escobar. That's, but, that's I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, it appears like maybe some more of the UK talent can come back. So, um, you'll, you'll have it where, who's the champion before the tournament? Mm. <laughs> oh, it was like... Uh, oh, it was uh, uh, Jordan Devlin. Jordan Devlin. Devlin could come back and say, that's my belt. That's a natural angle, right? But outside of that, they haven't really built anyone else up to come in and challenge him. See, this is where 205 Live is stupid because you're the only person that watches it. But they could build angles on NXT because Kushida could be a perfect person to carry the Cruiserweight title. Like a Kushida Escobar feud is actually what I want now. And I just made that up on the spot. I want that now. That would be good. But they can't build it on 205. I won't accept it if they try to build it on 205. <laughs> it has to be on NXT. Ashanti Adonis is the guy's name who did the run. Wasn't he yeah, the wrestler formerly known as Tuhuti Miles? Is that him? Yeah. I don't know. I don't know where he came from. Right. And they gave him a major promo spot afterwards. It, it, it was so dark. It was so weird because I felt like I thought this feud was closing with this. And I was like, what is going on? But... I guess they're going to keep it going, but dead ass, man. Kushida versus Santos Escobar, book it. Let's do it. Don't. I don't need to see Swerve do this shit again. Kushida, to me, feels like a North American main title type of guy. Yeah, I mean, cool, but if you're going to bring prestige to that cruiserweight title, you got to have, like, somebody. You have to have Santos Escobar challenge somebody. Like, Cameron Grimes looks like a perfect candidate for a cruiserweight title. Like, those guys feel like they're all perfect candidates, but it's such a weird thing to have. And I guess it's more about, um, I guess it's more about Escobar. Uh, I want him to be a bigger name in NXT, so I need him to have real legitimate challenges that are visible on NXT. Mm-hmm. And Kushida's like somebody, I don't know if he actually would be Kushida, but it would help Escobar. I think Escobar has one of the better, he has one of the better songs, one of the better looks in NXT period, but if this cruiserweight thing, if it lives and dies on 205 Live, it's just not a lot to care about. I think, I mean, it's showing that they care more about it is the first time the cruiserweight title is defended on TakeOver. So it might be a constant thing. It's not the first time. Jordan Devlin won it at a damn TakeOver. I don't know. Yeah, he won it. They said it was the first time, oh, first time it was defended? Maybe it's a technicality uh, i ain't doing this shit because he won it in the tournament <laughs> like I don't, I don't fucking know this is what they this is what they build it as so i think it's going to be more of a mainstay on the takeover cards which is fine by me but yeah they don't give it enough weekly love but you still have to you know fill an entire show every week so it's not like you can ignore 205 live like you do yes you can they cannot do that they, they can't don't... do it they got to fill programming, Dre. It's they have pointless. to. They're obligated. Listen, man. 205 Live is a pointless show. Can't hate it if you don't watch it. Give it a chance. I have. It's pointless. It's a dumb show. They don't need no, to have you, it. You missed the you missed the golden years of 205 oh, Live were, they, look, the by fact, hating on it. The fact that you've called it golden years is enough. There are no golden years in, t- in a show that nobody watches. 
you're lying, Mustafa Ali, Bertie Murphy, Cedric Alexander, that eight-month run had like three five-star matches in it. Yeah. Shit was nuts. It's the golden years. Okay, if you say so. Just letting you know. It can go away, okay? <laughs> I don't need uh, Co-main event, Io Shirai versus Candice LeRae. Talking about another gimmick I don't like, Candice LeRae's Poison Pixie gimmick is not for me. I thought she was the eternal babyface. She was the yeah. female Zan- Sami Zayn. She was the female Johnny Gargano. <laughs> like She could have had a similar build. I don't think this pixie look or attitude fits her. It seems like she's trying to be it and not just being a heel. She seemed like a natural babyface. So still weird to me, but I like the match, even with the shenanigans of the ref getting bumped twice, Johnny Gargano coming in. None of it mattered. Because Io Shirai maintained her title. Did it need the shenanigans? No, I thought it was good without it. But it didn't hurt the match. I thought both women showed out. But with Johnny and Candice losing, we might have the Garganos going up. No, I'm not calling it up. It's a lateral movement. Um, they worked out. <laughs> going down. Going down. <laughs> yeah, actually, it's going down. These these two worked their ass off. Your, it didn't need the interference. The interference. This interference didn't take me out like the last interference did. But it also was a theme where I was like, they could chill with the interference. Um, the logic behind uh, Gargano being able to be a referee is weird. Because, like, <laughs> Io Shirai should have been like, dude, you can't count the fucking... What are you doing? <laughs> like, this, you can't do this. Like, you can't do it. But it's some Gargano stuff. You're right. The Candice LeRae heel thing just doesn't work. It just for her. It just it's a weird thing that they're doing with her. Um, but they work their ass off. I I just I hate it because if it is true that they are going to either Raw or SmackDown, we've never really seen the best of what Candice LeRae has. We've seen in like little brief spurts, but we have not seen a prolonged run of who Candice LeRae is. And I don't know if we're ever going to get it. And we saw the best of Johnny, obviously, multiple times. Yes, forever. She was never able to show it. No, and that, that's that's the part that really sucks. But, again, this was a good match. Now, let's talk about afterwards. We got the reveal. It wasn't fucking Bo Dallas. Thank God. No. First off, we get two reveals in this match. The first reveal is that Tony Storm shows up on the Jumbotron. You're like, wow, okay, Tony Storm is back. Now it looks like... We have another contender in the women's division. Because the women's division is really good if they can add the women from the UK. Right? So, Tony Storm, prove it. Um, we, we've seen her really work. So, that was, like, really cool. I thought she was going to be a heel. I was like, Tony Storm is a heel? That might have some cool possibilities. Maybe not, though. Because then we cut to the promo of the person they've teased coming back for their title for several weeks, showing up on a motorcycle, coming inside the building, revealing themselves from underneath the helmet, and it is Ember Moon. Back from injury, people would, I mean, last week, there was information that she may never wrestle again. Yeah. So Ember is back. I love that she's back and healthy. I love that she's in NXT, it's tough to put her right into a main event feud. Nah, it's not. Why? Why would it be tough? Because I'm not sure if it's like riding a bike. I want her to make sure she can go because the expectation levels on her and Shirai at a takeover are going to be very high. 
I mean, granted, it's not the PC, so she can have a ton of practice. But in front of camera, match, adrenaline going, it would have been great to see her have a little more practice. But they have two months. Yeah. If she get on TV a couple of times and squash some people, cool. If you give her someone who can actually work, give her a Rhea Ripley. Give her someone else. I'm assuming she's coming back as a heel. That I'm not entirely sure. But two things. One... I mean, I'm sure she's going to work her way into it. I don't think they're just going to hand her the title shot. It's some very WWE shit, but I think Moon's going to work to get the title. Two, well, actually three things. Two, this she had to go back. There was nowhere for her to go in WWE. They didn't know what they were doing with Ember Moon. They made her like a video game nerd and then the weird kind con- like it was just so weird what they were doing. Whereas in NXT, she could just wrestle and yep. be dope. And I think her and Shirai will tear the house down. Uh, Moon is the one woman who has been totally forgotten about when we talk about the great women in pro wrestling because the injuries and because the call-up did her absolutely no favors. So this is this is welcome. Um, Tony Storm, she's going to be a heel. That's pretty obvious. Uh, the way that she cut that promo. And if, Fine by me. If she goes right into a few with Rhea Ripley, all for it. Um but this is, it feels like, you know, this is like make women wrestling great again in WWE, in NXT. Because NXT was like in trouble. Now, fix the tag team division. Yeah, you need that same influx of talent in the tag team division. Problem is, you can't really bring anyone back from the main roster. Because they're either hurt or actively doing something. Not something good, but just actively doing something. Shit, I don't care. Bring him back. Ain't nobody gonna miss. I mean, look, man. We never found out. To this day, it was bothering me the other day. Who was the guy behind the um, like the uh, the GTV type videos? We never found that out. We thought it was Ali. They just canned it. We never found yeah. anything else about no. it. No, I have no clue. I thought that was like this retribution gang or whatever. No, see, we we found out nothing about that recently. NXT has been working this Drake Maverick Killian Dane thing. I don't care. There's a lot of things that you can get rid of, and I don't care about at all. And That's fair. I mean, you got to try something. The the little guy, big guy dynamic. I get it. But I'm just saying, like, there's angles on NXT television, just like there's angles on SmackDown and Raw involving talent that could go to NXT, go back to NXT, where I'd be like, "That's cool." Like, Ricochet could go back to NXT. Damn sure could. He's not, but sorry. No. But him no, and Apollo could go back to NXT. I mean, he could go back. Finn Balor went back after even a run, so it, it's possible. Not now, not like this second, but like next year he could go back if he wants. Dude, Ricochet could go now. It's over for Ricochet on the main roster, on Raw and SmackDown. I, I can't stop calling it the main roster. But Raw and SmackDown, it's over for him. A lot, of the, a lot of talent that went from NXT, like Rude. Rude is a person that could definitely go back to NXT. Yep. Because look, they had him come back to face Drew Mack, and he's not going to do anything else. He'll vanish. Yeah. At this point... It's okay to be NXT lifers. It's just, what do you do when you try to move in new talent? Mm. Because when it'd be easy to have these people rotate back to keep them fresh, right? Because you trust NXT to revamp these people and to get them fresh. But for more people to get that same opportunity, you then have to rotate the people who got that fresh breath of air. Finn Balor would have to rotate back to the main roster because you did what you wanted to do for him. 
and that's revamp his character, make him feel really good again. He's a champion again. He's winning. Now rotate back to Raw or SmackDown as a main event guy. But they're not doing that because those places aren't that. Well, see, I don't want... I, I think NXT Lifers is a thing that should happen. I think Gargano and Cole should you, never leave, leave NXT unless unless they've done so much and there's actually a vacancy. Like, okay, I guess here's the thing. If Raw and SmackDown got their shit together where it felt like somebody from NXT coming there would be a big deal, then I'd be all for it. But, exactly, but, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, but arbitrarily just moving talent because you're like, I, I don't know, let's try some new people in an already crowded roster. It doesn't make any sense. So somebody like Adam Cole in the Undisputed Era, if there wasn't a bunch of talent from NXT going back and forth, well, just going there now and just doing nothing, sh- the Undisputed Era showing up shouldn't happen in a draft. It should happen as like a reveal. So I don't think, personally, this is me personally, I don't think the draft should involve NXT. I, at all. I feel like NXT is its own brand. Like NXT and maybe NXT UK could have a draft. But I don't want I don't want them to be involved with Raw and SmackDown. It's for my own selfish reasons, is because the talent that goes to Raw and SmackDown ends up doing hardly anything. Yeah, I think it's an identity crisis, right? So I, I think the best way to do it is to just play into what people think these brands are. And that's make SmackDown the wrestling show. So it's a natural transition to go from NXT to SmackDown because SmackDown is expected to be more of a pro wrestling show. Is it? You know? No, I'm saying if if you have this identity, you have to form this identity again. So it's an easy jump if you move from NXT to SmackDown if you make SmackDown's identity the wrestling show. Then... When you are at the wrestling show and you can develop your character more, you're used to the WWE way of life and being on television and you show personality, you then move those people to Raw. And if anyone gets stale on Raw, they can get a revamp on NXT. And you have like this circular movement that you can use through the draft. Occasionally people drop, you know, jump the other ways. But mostly you keep that as your rotation. I think it would be fine. I think it would be a good way to go about it. And it'd be smart. But they don't have that. No. You don't have anything between those two top brands that says they have an identity at all. Yeah. And that's something you need. Even when they did the first brand split, at least you had an identity. And fans tuned in for that identity. To the point of, you move a guy like Taker to SmackDown, people are like, what the fuck is he going to do on SmackDown? It's him and a bunch of real wrestling-ass wrestlers. Taker's going to fit in, and he shocked people. Yeah. And had killer matches. Because he shocked them by being a character guy going to a brand synonymous with wrestling. That's great. It had an identity. They no longer have an identity. Yeah, I mean, SmackDown doesn't have an identity. Raw doesn't have an identity. They're both... No. Like, it will, I guess we'll talk briefly about those two a little bit later. But the fact that they're having this draft, and before the draft, we see Kevin Owens on SmackDown. Like, just wait for the draft. Why are you doing this? Like, it makes everything seem like, for what? It doesn't... It doesn't they, they keep talking about, it's a battle for brand supremacy. No, it's not. Treat these like two different shows. Like, treat these like two different shows. Treat them like two different shows so much 
that when you end up doing this brand supremacy thing at Survivor Series, it means something because they, they haven't interacted. Like, and NXT hasn't interacted with SmackDown. And, and, like, if you do that, then you could have something. But, dude, it's just, it's really ridiculous how they've handled this where it doesn't feel special anymore. Survivor Series feels special when you have, um, if Finn Balor is still the champ, facing Roman Reigns, I guess. It should feel special, though. And Drew Mack. That's, that's one hell of a match. It, but it should feel special. But they interact yep. so much already that it doesn't feel special. And they keep saying brand supremacy. But how is it brand supremacy for when for 11 months out of the year, you're just sharing talent and not differentiating one brand from the other? Stupid. Yeah. Even, again, identity. It has to feel different. Right now, even if no one crossed over, it just feels like the same product, but one is blue and one is red. Exactly. One has red lights, one has blue lights. There's no identity differentiating either, and that's, like, the biggest problem. Um, talking about Finn Balor, though, that we just mentioned, him in the main event versus Kyle O'Reilly, a 30-minute match, 28 minutes, felt like it was six I was locked into the match. I thought it was great. Both guys, well, Kyle O'Reilly did what Kyle O'Reilly does. And credit to Finn Balor to really adjusting to that and bringing himself to a different level of striking, hard hitting. It was just a really good Kyle O'Reilly styled match that Finn Balor matched his energy. And like I said on the last show, last week's show, this is the best in-ring run of Finn Balor's career. Since he was in New Japan, I'll say. In in his WWE career, including first NXT stint, he's never been better in-ring than he is now. And I think tonight's match, some people are calling for five stars. Cool. I'd probably put it like 4.5. Uh, it's hard to give me a five star without fans. I'd give five stars to like that street fight the other day in uh, AEW. But that's a f- match you never really have with fans, you know? Like, completely in-ring, near falls, all that stuff. I need real crowd noise, not the fake pumped-in crowd noise. But to say if someone takes a five-star, I'm not going to argue too much. One hell of a match. If it's Finn Balor's first five-star, hat off to him. Because when he came back down, that was the one thing. It was like, Gargano has five stars. Cole has five-star matches. What does Finn have? This could be his match. Yeah, it's not a five star match. I don't give a shit. But it was a it was a really, really good match. And I think for a lot of people they've got to see what Kyle O'Reilly has. And when you watch it, you go, Oh, this guy's a singles competitor. So a lot of great work, a lot of great limb work, it was a lot of great like Kyle O'Reilly's offense is very unique. There is the catch wrestling that Thatcher guys like Thatcher do and, and Real does, but then there's the striking aspect. And the way Riley O'Reilly moves is it's it's special. He's a special talent that they got to take the leash off of. And it's nobody's fault because he's been so good as a tag team wrestler for so long that when, you know, they reform uh Red Dragon as the Undisputed Era, people are fine with it. But yeah. As much as I like Bobby Fish, Kyle O'Reilly's is Shawn Michaels out there. I'm not saying Fish is genetic, it's the injuries that kill Fish. But O'Reilly is just he's really good and you watch this match and you watch how methodically he works, but then it's also hard hitting, so there's not a lot of lulls in the action. Like those holes that were submission holes didn't feel like rest submission holes. They felt like he was threatening to try to win the match every time. And it forced Balor, even though he worked heel for much of the match, 
it forced Balor to still kind of work from under in some spots. So this was a, this was a hell of a match. The ending, I don't want to say it felt flat, but I, I it didn't give me like a crazy sprint. And I'm not saying you need that in every match, but when he hit that coup de gras, I really expected O'Reilly to kick out. It didn't feel like the match was done. But that's also a testament to the idea that it was 30 minutes, and I didn't feel like it was 30 minutes at that point. Yeah, like it didn't feel like 30 minutes at all. It was it and was a really good match. It, it, I would say four and a half stars is fair. I, five stars, I don't, especially I guess watching G one will absolutely ruin that for me because I just watched Shingo and Osprey just tear the fucking house down. Oh yeah, that match is crazy. Like I just watched those yeah. two just murder <laughs> shit, and I'm just like, right. five stars, like again. And I think about other five star matches because I'm a harsh critic, and I think like. Almas and Gargano. I watched that match again recently. That was a five star match because they had me so many times. And I think that's part of a five star match when the finishes are false finishes, but they really have you. And they had yeah. me. Wasn't a lot of that in this match, but it was still a really good match. Like I, I think the Gargano Cole match we were there for, where we were, like lost our mind. That was amazing. Was I, but you know what my incredible. you know what my problem with that match was. It's two out of three falls. Two out of three falls, and he didn't like the first two falls. Yeah, because I knew it was going to happen. But I could still see it being called a five-star match because that final fall was incredible. That's what a false finish should look like. Yeah. So, no, I agree. This is close, though. Probably Finn Balor's best match. Yeah, I, so, I think so. Yeah, it was a great way to end the pay-per-view. No, it wasn't. Wait, swerve. <laughs> it didn't end the pay-per-view. See, that was me attempting to put up the logo real oh, quick, God. which is something you hate. I hate it, <laughs> yeah. So, the logo goes up. It doesn't end. Uh, the big brute, what's his name? Ridge Holland. Ridge Holland. Comes out. He beat up Cole, tore his T-shirt. I don't know why you got to tear the guy's T-shirt. Throws him over the banister. And the Undisputed Era rallies around Cole, just looks at Holland. They look back at Finn Balor. Finn Balor like, I don't know what's going on. What happened? And then Cole is all beat up. You look at Holland's eyes, and then the screen goes black. No answers. It's a good cliffhanger to end the pay-per-view. You didn't think so. You didn't like it as much as I did. I hate it. I like it. I like it because you don't know what's coming. Yeah, see, I hated it. One, I hate, I really hate because ever since Ciampa turned on Gargano, they have ran that let's run the logo thing to death. Like, stop doing it. Now, I just don't believe anything's over. You might as well just run the <laughs> logo like three or four times. So that bothers me. Two, when you have a match as good as O'Reilly and Balor, to have Ridge Holland, who's done absolutely nothing to this point, to warrant a spot to close a pay-per-view, tossing Cole over the rail, and now the attention's on who attacked Adam Cole, I felt like it took away from what Balor and O'Reilly just did in the ring. So that part bothered me. But the Rich Holland thing bothers me the most because I just haven't felt anything one way or another about Rich Holland. Like he, I'm not saying he's bad, but I'm not saying he's good. I'll put it like this. When I first saw it, I thought it was Dexter Loomis. I was like, what is Dexter Loomis doing out here? <laughs> yeah, that's okay. and I was like, oh, and I was like, and then I started doing this. Who is that? Oh, that's Ridge Holland. I shouldn't be doing that at the end of the damn pay per view. I should be going that Balor O'Reilly match was really good. Save this shit for next week. Then, yeah, it leaves you on a cliffhanger, right? 
Who? Why did the, Why did Rich Holland attack? And then people are speculating: Is it Balor and Rich Holland forming like a UK version of the Bullet Club or some wild shit like that? And then it leads me to wondering if this is like TV goofy shit. Like, what did Adam Cole take a piss and Fish and Strong just left him alone, and then Holland attacked him, and those guys just didn't notice that Cole had disappeared and got beaten up. Mm-hmm. So then, then I'm wondering: Okay, is there like a swerve running here? Like, what are we doing? But the only thing that I cared about, which really makes me upset. Is I thought I said it last week. I thought we were working th- all this way to get to an O'Reilly Cole feud, and now I feel like the attention is completely diverted the other way. And more importantly, is watching the Balor and O'Reilly match. O'Reilly worked like such a babyface in that match. Everything about him worked oh, babyface, yeah. and and Balor worked heel, which makes me wonder. All right, so maybe Balor's working heel on this this Holland thing, but I feel like if you take the attention off of O'Reilly right now, you're missing the opportunity to build somebody special. I don't want this to be about Cole and Holland and Balor. I want this to be about O'Reilly, and if O'Reilly feuds with Cole, that's special. But if you turn the undisputed era into baby faces, that's kind of whack. I'm not buying it. Uh, yeah, I mean, they're way better as heels. I don't know how they work with baby faces. They would get cheered easily. Yeah, but see. But you can't do none of the cool shit. Right, exactly. Four people if you're a baby Like, face? okay, perfect person who is a great talent, but it never works when he turns baby face, Kevin Owens. Kevin Owens is a phenomenal heel, and he's so good at being a heel, you want to turn him baby face. But every time they turn him baby face, they do nothing with him. Every single time. And if they do this with Cole and you take that edge off of what makes Adam Cole Adam Cole, it's not fun anymore. They've kind of taken the edge off of what made Kevin Owens Kevin Owens. And now he's like, why is Aleister Black kicking me in the face? That's not Kevin Owens. Ruthless Kevin Owens wouldn't give a shit. Ruthless Kevin Owens, when he bounced John Cena the way he did, we were like, oh. Ruthless Kevin Owens, when he headbutted the McMahons, we were sold on that. But you can't really do that as a babyface. It doesn't work the same way. At all. Like... And again, he'll talk himself into still being relevant because he's such a good person on the mic. But you're right. It just doesn't hit the same. So it's it's tough. We'll see what happens with Kevin Owens. I like the pay-per-view. Real quick, on the spot, you're great for the pay-per-view. I will go A-. minus. I'll go B+. Plus. Mm, wait. What did I give a B plus to recently? Clash of Champions? Yeah. Because no, it, was, it, was it was better in Clash. Class. So I'll say an A-, minus. yeah. Oh, <laughs> Tough grader it, giving it an A minus. It was it, it was better than Clash, but none of those matches. This is no disrespect to NST. None of those matches got me like Uso and Roman Reigns. Even though we knew the finish, that match was that was a masterful match. Yes, and when we talk pro wrestling later in the week, because we'll do that on Thursday, we'll have a Raw to recap, New Japan to catch up on, AW to talk about, and preview the entire draft, which starts on Friday. So packed wrestling on. Um, thir- Thursday night, Friday morning show. When we talk about it then, we really, really have to talk about them running that match back. Which, to me, running it back at Hell in a Cell, unless the stipulation is not a Hell in a Cell, <laughs> I-, I don't like it. Like, it's, again, the theme pay-per-view gives it away. But if they have a different stipulation for any reason, that shit better really Grab me because I don't know why he needs two shots at the title. You proved what you had to prove. I, dog, I, He's the big chief. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what happens, but we haven't even talked about this yet. We'll save it for later this week, but they have completely blown the Sasha Banks-Bailey feud. 
oh god not yet let's see no it's not looking great it's not looking great. let's see it's not looking great. this is this was a home run on a i'm team. less optimistic yes i'm less optimistic but we shall see what happens there we're gonna hit the break when we come back we gotta touch on a little boxing and mma before we get out of here you guys stay right there We'll get right back to the show in a second, but first, the wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be able to be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads to totals to teams, player and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, divisions, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign up bonuses. Don't forget to use code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right, we are back for the home stretch. And let's start off with a little boxing. I feel like we saw the fight of the year this past weekend. Dre, so much stuff was on Saturday night. That it was kind of crazy, like to try to wrap your head around all the stuff going on in terms of sports. But when this fight started on E, it was like, wait, everyone, stop what you're doing and turn on this fight because it is nuts. Jose Zapata defeated uh, Bronchik. Incredible back and forth fight. Within the first two rounds, there was three knockdowns and a possible. Which I think was later called a knockdown. Yep. And then you go through the fight. By the fifth round, there was then seven knockdowns. And in the fifth, Zapata lands this punch that completely folds Bronchik in the middle of the ring. He's on the ground for like five minutes. It's over eight total knockdowns, including the highlight reel KO. Both men hitting the ground four times hitting the map four times in the fight. You just don't see that. It was incredible. A fight I'm going to watch probably two more times this week, front to back, just to see. I know there was stuff I missed during this fight. It was so good. And now going down the stretch, this was the first time probably since July where I felt that huge energy from a bubble fight. It got me as excited as a normal fight, and I didn't need fans to do it. I'm going to correct you. You said it was fight of the year. That probably was fight of the decade. And we're only... We just got into the decade. But I'm even... I'm <laughs> like, even... I'm even you're like, yo, take a back seat for the next nine years. Yeah. Um, but I, what I'm actually doing is saying it might have been the best fight in the past 10 years. Wow. Um, yeah. I'm going to I mean, I'm gonna explain we, why. Yeah. This was Hagler Hearns. In five rounds instead of three. Oh, this was a fight because you you have to really think about what we just watched. Ivan Branchik, who lost to Josh Taylor, and Jose Cepeda, who lost to Jose Ramirez. Right, they both needed to win mm-hmm. super bad. And you head in this fight, and just like even Corrales Castillo, we thought we were going to see a good fight, but we had no idea what we were getting to. 
Nobody had a clue what we were about to see with Brian Chick and Cepeda. Not nobody. Nobody. Because Cepeda was billed as the boxer and Branchik was like the tank who comes forward. And yep. the reason why this is, I call, I will say this, and I'll I down my shield on this after watching this fight again. The reason why I say this is the equivalent of Hagler Hearns is because I cannot remember a fight outside of Corrales Castillo, which is the greatest fight I've ever seen. I can't remember a fight where I was completely clueless which way this fight was going. After the first round, it looked like Branchick was going to murder Cepeda. Like, it looked like Cepeda had no chance in hell. And then Cepeda dropped him in the second. You're like, oh. And Branchick's legs were spaghetti. And then he knocked him back down. And you were like, okay, I don't know who's going to win anymore. And, and there was no point from after that first round, neither fighter was fully in control at any given moment. They changed so fast that you were like confused at what you were watching. Because, again, Baranchik owned the first round. And from that point on, they, every time somebody had somebody else in trouble, they went down. They went down. Baranchik. Yeah, themselves. Yes. Like, you never, <laughs> every time. you never see that in boxing. Hagler Hearns was just like this pure six brawl. And the reason why Hagler Hearns is recognized as one of the wildest three-round fights in the history of boxing is because they, the hype was there and they exceeded it. Right, which is fair, which is it's, it remains one of the craziest things I've ever seen. This fight didn't have those expectations, and, and I'm watching the fight, and I'm going, like I turn, like I'm watching because UFC is on, and I got my other screen going. I'm looking, and I'm like, let me pay attention to this fight, right? And Branchick's just beating the piss out of Zapata, and I'm just like, yo, this fight's over, and then Zapata drops him, and Zapata's not known as a big puncher, and I'm like, all right, and then I see Branchick's legs are completely noodled. He's done. But then he drops him. I'm like, all right, well, I don't know what's going on right now, but I think I'm watching a fight of the year candidate. And then eight times, eight knockdowns, eight knockdowns in five rounds, eight. And then the the knockout. Come on. You will not find very many picture-perfect knockouts on a comeback. When I think about knockouts like that, I think about UFC when uh, Chet Congo and Pat Berry fought. And Pat Berry had Congo dead to rights, and Congo just lit Pat Berry up and killed him. That's what this looked like. Like, Branchick, he had hit Cepeda so hard with a left hook that the ropes were the only thing that held Cepeda up. <laughs> right? Bounced off of the rope. Just I thought he was going to eat one as he bounced yeah. back off of the rope. Yeah, and so he gets the count, and then he's like, you know what? And he uncorks his left hand that Branchick doesn't go down. He dies. And and what makes the, the fight even better or scarier is that in that moment, I went from, man, I can't wait for these guys to do it again, to, I don't think Ivan Branchick should ever fight again. He's dead. <laughs> ever. Like, this is it. You hang him up after Yeah, that. like, he, that, knockout was, that knockout was so brutal. I've seen brutal knockouts. Uh, Sergio Martinez knocking out Paul Williams was a brutal, scary knockout. But this yeah. knockout was so brutal that I... I, the, the one thing I hated the most about this fight was how did you let Branchick walk out of the ring? You need to strap him to a gurney and carry him out. He was a dead man. That's scary. Didn't even get him oxygen. That was weird. But this fight, man, if you haven't seen Zapata and Branchick, this is appointment viewing. And the eight knockdowns should have been on the Sports Center top 10 and occupied eight spots. <laughs> eight. On a day with college football, like, yo, we need eight, eight spots. It, Eight spots on this. Man. It was that dog. It was that good. Tell me, tell me another fight because immediately people are like Ward Gotti. Yes, 
uh, Corrales Castillo. Yes, but in the last 10 years, and there's been some really good fights, but give me a fight with that much drama momentum swinging. No, I, honestly, I can't find one. And you look at... One, I, I think we should replay this. Like, during that Loma broadcast? Yeah. Lo, Loma, Lopez, I don't know what... Berlanga's great, right? Berlanga, and he's going against Bellows, so I think Bellows lasts longer than one round. Maybe. Like the 14 other opponents. <laughs> but if it lasts three rounds, replay this fight after. Yes. Because everyone deserves to see this fight. Not just people with E+. It was that good. So, yeah, I can't remember. Maybe I think we did our fights of, like, last decade back in January. I think maybe it was, um, what, Anthony Joshua versus Klitschko? See, that was... Was the top fight? <sighs> no, Because it was, was knockdowns going back and forth. But see, even that fight, they didn't get the knockdown start. Like, this fight started with a knockdown. Quick. <laughs> Quick, fast. Like, this, this is a lot better than that There, there was no feeling so, out process. None. Um, on the ringside account, ESPN ringside, that I run, obviously, I posted all eight. Like, my first email is I went in and I went to, like, the managers of the social department. I was like, listen, I know this on E+, and you can go on there and, you know, just on demand and watch these fights. So, usually we, we give away the ending, but we can't show an entire fight on social media, obviously, right? Because we want people to subscribe. I was like, yo, I need to show everyone these knockouts. And they were like, yeah, cool. Like, uh, I was like, by the way, there's eight. Because they had only seen the knockout, like the last KO. Because everyone's doing like college football and other things, right? So they were like, eight? I was like, yo, I need to show all eight on Instagram. They're like, all right, if you think that works. I was like, yo, I need to do it. So if you go to the Instagram ringside Instagram, I have a slide in order knockdowns one through eight it was that incredible yeah i've watched that like 10 times just because the shots they were caught with were so out of left field it wasn't like someone was getting pummeled and then you saw the knockdown coming they're literally just taking one step too far and being flattened yes incredible and that's what i'm saying like i can't remember like i've seen fights where guys take punishment but the knockdowns were rarely like, neither side got a knockdown twice in a row except for Branchick in the beginning of the fight. Yep. Everything was, it went back and forth. Like, ESPN would, it would be a disservice to sports fans if ESPN doesn't run this fight back and promote it heavily. Like, they should talk about this on first take and point to it. Like, we're going to rebroadcast this fight. That's what boxing needs, and that's what will get people back into boxing because there is nobody who can deny that fight. It's, it's not a fight that you could turn on for somebody and go, wait for this to happen, right? Oh, no, no, hang in there. It's about to get crazy. You don't need to do that. As soon as the bell rings, the shit got crazy. Unbelievable. No, immediately. <laughs> no warm-up. That was what's so No warm-up. I was like, yo, they just keep going down. And above that, they kept getting up. Yeah, until it was a pay to murder them, but yeah. Yeah, there was no getting no. up from that. That's what I'm saying. What a perfect finish. You killed a man. Yeah, flattened. <laughs> it could have ended any better. That That's a fight that never should have gone to the scorecards, and it didn't. No. So, amazing. To me, 
fight of the year, you're putting a damn near fight at last 10. Yeah. I can't disagree. Um, other match, I mean, there wasn't too many other boxing matches that we really had to talk about from the weekend. Um, DAZN, young black kid, his name's escaping Joshua me. Joshua Boatsy. Boatsy, thank you. Boatsy showed up today during his entrance, taking the knee, fist up. Shout out to the young brother. Light heavyweight uh, contender there. In the division, actually, that's wide ass open. So that fight was good. I actually ended up watching a fight after that. But got to give credit where credit is due because he's still using the platform to push the narrative, which is good. I I trust major sports to keep the narrative going. I do not trust combat sports at all No, to keep the narrative going. No. So when I see stuff like this, I'm like, shout out to you, my brother. So good job by him. Um, in the coming weeks... We have uh, Navarrete fighting on ESPN Plus on Friday. Actually, I think it's on ESPN. Normal ESPN Friday night defending his title. Or, excuse me, going for the title that Shakur Stevenson vacated at 126 pounds. That should be a good fight. Uh, Lipinitz is on the zone this week. Yeah. For the interim welterweight belt, which I really don't know what that means. I don't know what it means either. Because I don't, I don't know if he can be any... He- actual welterweight champion he'll just be somebody to speed up that's all yeah but he's on the zone this weekend to me this is the last like catch your breath weekend because after that we're in full sprint mode we have uh ny coming and debuting on espn um or i guess his top ranked debut on espn we have javante pay-per-view we of course have theofimo versus lomachenko before all of that uh we have what, Danny Garcia in November versus Errol Spence, who knows what Errol Spence is going to look like, and a ton of other great fights. Dude, the Halloween, the Halloween night is stupid. Oh, so stupid. Because, one, now it's like, you know, my daughter and I have the kids over, and I'm like, yo, I got to work Halloween. So Friday night we'll watch all the scary movies. Because Saturday, your Saturday night lineup looks like this. In the morning, you get Usyk versus Chisora on the zone. And then in the evening, yep. you got Santa Cruz and Tank, and then you got Inouye. Now, Inouye is going to murder somebody, and then you got Santa Cruz and Tank. Like, it's ridiculous. That, those three fights going head-to-head, well, not head-to-head because Usyk and Chisora is going to be early in the day, but that's bananas. Yeah, Michaela Mayer uh, is the co-main going for her first title. It's- that's not a slouch. So that's a great women's Bo- Like, boxing is about to pick up. And then, obviously, for those we'll talk about more in the coming weeks, but Matchroom has announced their schedule. Devin Haney's getting in there with Gamboa, Daniel Jacobs. And- oh, shit, yeah, that's November 7th, yeah. right? Danny Jacobs and Gabe Rosado and their blood feud where Rosado's probably going to get destroyed. Um, Katie Taylor's getting back in the ring. Quick turnaround after the Delphine Pursuit fight. Um, wow! Okay. Yeah, there, there's there's a lot of boxing, and that's why you guys will start to hear the three shows because there's going to be a lot of boxing, a lot of pro wrestling, and then we have MMA. Yep, in which the UFC is not slowing down either. Not at all. So plenty to talk about there. Uh, let's hit up the UFC before we get out of here. Holly Holm fought this past weekend. Fights that I was keeping my eye on, corner of my eye, but my eye was on them. Three fights, pretty much to talk about here. Um, maybe two. Two. Jermaine Duranime, Jermaine Duranime versus Juliana Pena. Even fight all throughout. I thought Pena looked good. Takedowns, mixing it up. Duranime looked good when it was standing. She was able to get her stuff off. No one 
not even the betters in Vegas saw this finish coming. Dorada May gets Juliana Pena in a guillotine, takes her to the ground. It's a wrap. Submits her. No one thought Dorada May on the ground would be able to best Pena. Dude, yeah. It's plus 2,300 according to sports books to win by submission. Jermaine Dur- Damn, should have just put a hundo down. But, I mean, dude, nobody would pick No that. one saw it coming. No. Because no. Juliana Pena is perfectly competent on the ground. I guess not anymore. Pena's in an interesting spot. She was Ultimate Fighter winning, winner. Uh, really good bantamweight. And then injuries happened. And then it feels like the game has completely passed her by. Where everybody else has gotten better than her. Well, she... Actually, she was on her way to winning this. The crazy thing is, is that it's not like Deronime was able to, you know, get mount or do some crazy. Pena had her in the single leg about to land the takedown that probably wins the third round and wins her the fight. Instead of defending the single leg, Deronime was like, the hell with him, going for the gusto and just put her arm around the neck. And that's how she landed the choke. So Pena walked into the choke. Deronime just Really I'm well. just saying, like, here's here's the point that I'm making with Pena. You just, like, it's like Damian Maya getting submitted. It's wild. It's not supposed to happen. And now Pena's been submitted. And you look at that division now. We'll, we'll talk more about how this division is shaking up now. Because now Nunez will be out for a minute because just had a baby. Congratulations to her. But yep. now we had two incredible performances in the women's bantamweight division. First and foremost, though. How the hell was Durandamy and Pena not the co-main event? And that bullshit heavyweight oh, fight no. was a co-main event. Because they thought they were going to knock it out and, and, you know, just get a knockout in the main in the co-main. Garbage. Yeah. They, they should let the, both these women main, like main and co-main. Yep. I mean, honestly, it's like a tournament. Yeah. Why didn't you just promote it as, okay, these are the next four contenders. It's pretty much it is in Bantamweight division. And then the winners of this will probably fight each other. And then the winners of that fight will go on. And that's who will take on Amanda when she's back from maternity. Yeah, it was stupid. Like, they had this it's right so there. easy to market yeah, it that they, way. They botched so this one. Now, let's talk about Holly Holm's performance. Holly Holm against Irene Aldana. Jesus Christ. If Aldana had nothing for it. Different levels. It's not even, it's levels yeah, it's, like, it's not even just that Irene Aldana had nothing for it. But that version of Holly Holm, I don't know who beats her. Except for Amanda. Amanda, uh, biggest thing that stood out with me with Holly in this fight was her willingness to go for takedowns and then finish takedowns. Not me. My biggest thing was, what have, what have I said for the last, as long as we've done this podcast, what has been my biggest problem with Holly Holm? She doesn't throw. Exactly. And what did she do this fight? She threw hands and feet. She was aggressive. A lot of feet. Man. She kicked the hell out of the box. She was aggressive from the beginning. And I think what Holly's starting to realize is you're not really that matched. Nobody can really match with you in cardio because she did that for five rounds. Her cardio is unrivaled. And then her striking is on point. And if she doesn't worry, like how many times has Holly Holm been knocked out? Not, exactly. Right? So if you go out there, I was about to say, like Amanda D. That's what I'm her. saying. So if you can go out there and, and survive what Amanda killed Cyborg, and if Amanda can't knock you out, you can get out there and throw hands. Not saying you got to do a reckless abandon, but being the aggressor will put all these women on their back foot and they can't fight off their back foot. You don't need to be a counter striker. 
You need to be aggressive. And what she did to Aldana was she completely shut her down because Aldana couldn't figure out how to get past that offense. And then now you mix in the takedowns. Holly Holmes a problem. I don't I, like. I'm trying to figure out who's in performance I was more impressed by. And I think I'm going to say Holly Holm because she did it for five rounds. Well, Holly Holm because she was dominant the entire time. Again, competitive fight for Duran uh, for Duranime. Competitive. She just yeah landed the choke to finish it. But Pena had the first round, I think. Toronto had the second. Third round was up for grabs. So it was a competitive fight. Holly was untouched. Was level as this shit. And, I mean, Aldana was not anywhere near her level. Not even close. So who gets... So, so the obvious booking is Durandamay versus Holly Holm, and the winner gets Amanda Nunez. Oh, of course. That's why it should have been Amanda yeah, yeah. I don't know what the UFC is thinking. Exactly. And it would have been a natural tournament yeah. build. That would have made people watch because you have a storyline instead of, oh, by the way, the woman who KO'd Ronda Rousey six years ago is turning 38. Is she going to retire? Yeah, cut that out. That was the story. I know. That was the story. You know, and now this is no disrespect to Holly, but Holly's looked 38 for like the last 10 years. <laughs> so they got They need to stop with the narrative like she's 38 now, like, but she's still she's in phenomenal shape. She's just looked the same age for the last 10 years. There's no disrespect to I'm Holly. just saying. When you look at... Like, I'm just saying. That's like what someone says, with all due respect, you know some wild shit is Perhaps. coming next. I'm, I'm, but I'm saying, <laughs> you've looked at Holly... Holly Holmes has looked older forever. And she hasn't really yes. aged at all from that point. She just no. stayed... Like, did somebody froze her and they thought her out? And then she was just like, I'm just going to stay this age forever. And that's what. And so when they yes. say, oh, she's 38... She might need to retire. But it was a good question because a lot of us thought, what does Holly have left? And then you see that performance, you're like, Pfft. it's her mind. It has nothing to do with her skills. Mental. That is all mental. That girl, when she fights like that, I'll watch her every night. But before that, man, I was so sick of catch and shoot Holly Holm was driving me nuts. Throw hands. <laughs> no, that's very true. So, um, no, we'll see a natural matchup there at Bantamweight. And then, of course, Amanda still has an opponent waiting for her um, at Featherweight. So, we'll see. Amanda's going to be busy next year. Yeah, she will. But we'll see who will be first up in terms of title defenses. And then, this weekend's card, Saturday, we have Marlon Moraes headlining. I'm trying to see if there's anything else to talk about. Yeah, so Ben Rothwell versus Marcin Tybero. Yeah, I don't care. Should be a good fight. Someone's getting knocked out. Give me Ben Rothwell with upset. Sure, I don't care. <laughs> Edson Barbosa in the co-main against Amir Khani. Well, see, this is where this is the guy that you got to look at and be like, ah, what do you have left? Because he hasn't looked great. Barbosa, I'll pick Barbosa because I think he might still have something left, but I could be totally wrong. No, actually, yeah, we'll pick Amir Khani. I'm a, no, I'm gonna go the other way. Barbosa's gonna lose. Three fight lo- losing streak for yeah, Barbosa. Yeah, well, four. No, not three. Three fight losing streak. Only won one of his last five, and that's he knocked out Dan Hooker. Yeah. But has since lost to Kevin Lee, lost to Paul Felder, Justin Gaethje, and Dan Edge. You know, listen, it's not an easy schedule. No, it's not. Edson has had over the past couple of years. I'll give him the win just because I, I just want to see Edson still fight some other people. You mean like Edson... Versus Cowboy or some shit again. Sure. Why not? Why not? Like, just meet somewhere. Meet 
155. Like, just give me some wild shit where I can see people throw hands. Um, main event, Marlon Moraes versus Corey Sanhagen. I think we've seen the best of Moraes. Well, I think the best of Moraes still knocks out Corey Sanhagen. Really? Yes. Sanhagen got steamrolled by Aljo. And I know we don't... I mean, Aljo's on a I know, run. I know. I know about MMA math and how we shouldn't apply it. I, like, we just... Dude, dog, did you see what Chris Weidman tweeted? Yo, that is like opponents of... <laughs> it's like Israel Adesanya. It's like, yo, I've done better... Against these similar opponents as Israel Sanya. I stopped them. He barely beat Gaston. Get out of here. But I don't really like MMA math. But in this sense, San Higgins got steamrolled by Aljo. Now, yes, Aljo's on a roll. But I don't think Marlon Marais has lost much of anything. And I don't think San Higgins is that big of a threat to Marais. Especially in Well, his- he got worked by Cejudo. And a lot of people gave Jose Aldo the decision over him. Yeah, that was a competitive fight. But Cejudo, he gassed against Cejudo. Because he was winning that fight. Pretty handily until he got tired. Yeah, that third round though was an ass whooping of world class. Yeah, course. so I don't know. I don't. I don't see Sanhagen being able to do that to Marais. I think Sanhagen makes a big mistake and gets hurt and knocked out. <clears throat> My biggest thing with Sanhagen is he had a lot of stoppages. Like when he first got in the UFC, as soon as the level of competition bumped up, John Lineker didn't stop him. He won a decision. Uh, Asensio. Didn't stop him. Won a decision. Aljo got submitted quick. So it's just, what do you have when the level of competition steps up? Yeah. So, yeah, I'm, I'm picking Marlon Rice. It'll be interesting because if Marlon Rice wins, what does Rice do? Because he'll immediately, like, it, the only th- way he can even try to put his name in the conversation with Petr Jan is if he were to obliterate Sanhagen faster than Aljo did. And then he goes, I've knocked out Aljo. I should get the title shot. Yeah. But other than that... I mean, I think it's Aljo's title shot to lose at this point. It, I don't know what's taking so long. I, I mean, Dana's alluded to it, but come on, man. It's obvious. Aljo versus Jan, just book it. And Marlon Bryce gets the winner, I guess. But book the damn fight. Quit playing. No, there's a like a number one contenders match. Or a second contenders match coming up. I forgot when they They shouldn't. Fight. Just do the goddamn fight. Aljo deserves it. Yeah, yeah but I think like behind him... There's a matchup to see who deserves it. Should next. be this. Should be Marais. Yes. Oh yeah, I guess Marais Sanhagen. If Marais San loses, Hagen I don't lost. think Sanhagen should get the next title opportunity. But if Marais wins, then yeah. Like, cause let's just say Aljo beats Yan, then that's the obvious fight to make: Marais versus Aljo in a rematch. Aljo yeah, got his face run it back. In. So yes, they should run that back. <laughs> All right. Not mad at that. Um, that's our show. It went. I guess this last couple segments went quick. Thank you guys for listening. It was a fun one. We'll be talking Trumpito later on in the week. But it was nice not to talk Trump on this show and to get into some uh, R&B and Vegas shenanigans. So it was great. Always love the old man stories. If you guys want to follow us on social media, hit us up on Twitter at Corner Podcast underscore on Instagram, Corner Club for Life. You can follow me at Kel Dansby, him at Andreas Hale on all platforms. Shout out to the sponsor. Shout out to Cox Cable. You guys have probably seen me cut the promo. Make sure you guys check out that Pick'em contest. Man, it's fun. I've tried it. I'm telling you. So thank you to them as well. Shout out to the network, Blue Wire. Until next week, we're out. Peace.